Hi guys, welcome to Dead by Tomorrow Interviews. My name is Daniel Winter and my co-host is Andrew Monroe. As we explore different topics that are worth thinking about today, we want to bring in guests to share their own unique perspective. We hope you enjoy hearing from our guests as much as we enjoy talking to them. Hello, everybody. We have another episode for you. So today we have Jonathan Harris with us. He is a friend of Daniel and I's. He's actually part of the, I guess you could call it the OG gaming squad that has been going on since college. So Jonathan is a native of Amarillo. As a kid, he wanted to be an astronaut and play in the NBA and instead settled on doing computery things. He's passionate about finding solutions to problems and is the father of the future first female NFL champion. I'm sure that's going to trigger a lot of people, so I'm excited to see the the hate on that. So let's get this going. Jonathan, welcome on. Thank you for joining us. How's it going? It's going good. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for that nice intro. You know, us us Harris's are all about breaking barriers. So I don't know if she's going to be a kicker or a quarterback or a coach, but we'll see if we can get it done eventually. <laughs> I will support you in whatever way I can. So I heard you had a mermaid themed birthday party for this daughter, actually. How'd that go? And uh, was there any actual mermaids, merman? Or what does a three-year-old's birthday party look like nowadays? So for our family, Joelle is the, she's one of four kids that are within a few years of each other. So every time there's a birthday, there has to be plenty of activities to distract them from destroying things. We were mermaid themed this year, trying to incorporate a pool that we, we moved into a new house this year. I haven't been able to use the pool yet because it's been cold. So tried to incorporate the pool into the theme and lo and behold, it's been a very weird weather spring for everybody in the U.S. And like soil temperatures are too low. And so our pool was at like 70 degrees. So we, we kind of had to abort on the swimming. So there was like, we had like a buried treasure station where little kids were digging through sand, trying to find coins and gems. And then we had some toys buried like underwater that they had to fish out with little nets. And then they had little wooden treasure chests that they had to paint to keep all their treasures in. So we just had to kind of game plan out a lot of little fun activities around the mermaid theme. Oh, there's also like bubbles and jellyfish hanging from my ceiling as part of the theme. (laughs) None of that creative stuff was my doing. That was my wife. But that's what a three-year-old birthday party looks for me, at least. We had maybe 10 adults around just trying to keep track of the chaos. But it was a good time. We did end up swimming because the kids insisted and it was really cold, but it was fun. And you may have given this away a little bit when you you said whose idea it was to to do all these creative things but i i was certainly taking some notes on activities and things to do for birthday parties any parents listening i hope you're taking notes as well and within our as andrew said within our gaming group you have for a long time for lack of a better word kind of been our daddy our expert you were, <laughs> you, oh no, you, oh no! <laughs> but really, no. You're, you're the first, the first one of my my close friends to sort of move and start working. The first one to have kids, and for a lot of us, at least for me, you're kind of one of the first people that I go to and say, you know, hey, what do you do about this, or is this weird, or, or what should I expect on this? And so, is that something that? is true in other areas in your life at work? Do you have like a secret or are we all just like really dumb and you're a a pretty normal person? It's like, you guys are idiots. Just do it this way. I'm definitely just a normal guy that has not been afraid to make mistakes in the past and try to incorporate things I've learned from mistakes into doing new things. 
I try to do that at work as well. I've been a technical lead for a couple of teams in the past, and I'm sure we'll get into occupational stuff later, but I'm an engineer now where my job is to kind of think about problems in creative ways and try to find either a better way or a right way to do something. I do think creative problem solving is probably one of the things I'm best at. So, I mean, it means a lot to me that you would say that you value my opinion on on certain things. Things like being a dad are very much like, you know, you kind of roll the dice. And if the dice don't turn out right, you just re-roll them and try something different. But we've we've learned a lot. I think we've done some good things. We've done some things that I'm sure we'll find out we're not so good, but we're doing our best. So let's talk a little bit about the occupational side of things. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you currently do and I also am curious, is that something where, Andrew, in your bio, you you said that Jonathan wanted to be an NBA player and an astronaut. I don't think that's what you do. So what <laughs> what throughout life, I, I guess your life kind of leading up to going to college and getting in a career, like what were some of the things that you were, were doing to get to where you're at now? Sure. So for the for the NBA thing, which spoiler, you're right, that is not my occupation. I was one of many kids in the 90s that had a Michael Jordan poster and would watch highlights that were on whatever the sports shows were back then, probably Sports Center. I don't remember back in that day. So that's what I wanted to do when I was growing up. And my I remember the doctor telling me when I was like 10, he was like, you're probably gonna be like 6'3". And I was like, yeah, I could make that work in the NBA. But that didn't happen. I'm almost 5'10". So the other thing that was kind of a theme in my life growing up was I played a lot of video games. I was on the computer a lot, just kind of tinkering with things like, hey, I can, you know, write a couple lines of code and it makes a little colored square appear on the screen. Didn't want to be a programmer, but I did love messing with computers. I ended up going into computer engineering when I went to school with absolutely no real engineering taught to me. They didn't do that in my high school. Pretty much got blown out of the engineering department at the school I was in. I mean, I didn't like fail or anything, but I was like, there's people that have been doing engineering, like actual coding and engineering since middle school. And I haven't done any of that. So didn't want to do that. Ended up going to work Basically, it's just like an IT guy fixing printers and computers and monitors and plugging things in and unplugging things. So I, I started working at a, a place called Bank On It in Oklahoma City, where they serviced a lot of little local banks in the states and surrounding Oklahoma, where I would go plug in things, try to get things to work, try to get applications to work. And after that, I started working at Sonic. The corporate office for Sonic, the drive-in, is in Oklahoma City and all the tech support for getting stuff in the stores to work goes through the corporate office. So I went over there and I was doing the same thing. I was trying to fix things on the phone, printers and stuff. And then I would occasionally travel to a store and try to fix something that was really broken. And how I got into engineering was I was really tired of having to look at a, a store individually to troubleshoot it. We There's um, around 3,500 Sonic drive-ins across the nation. And like 10% of them are broken in some way at all times. And I did not like, you know, looking at them one at a time. So I ended up building a little application that could connect to multiple stores at once, grab some information, and we could sort of troubleshoot things in a larger scale than one store. The little application I built got really popular and it spread to different techs and other teams across Sonic. And at the same time, Sonic was trying to bring more engineering and development in-house. And they gave me an opportunity to be on an engineering team for the different Sonic drive-ins across the country. 
and from there, I kind of learned to love coding again, even though I hated it in college because I got to write things that I saw actually fix things out in in the real world. And that's that's about it. From there, I've learned a lot of things and just continued to be an engineer. And for the record, I, I don't believe you're at Sonic anymore because I, I was a little upset when you left. I mean, selfishly for, for two reasons. One, you were always our inside source for when there were like dollar corn dog days and and things like that. And actually, one time we were taking advantage of the dollar corn dog day in Dallas and I was having issues ordering. Like there was something wrong with the drive-in thing I was at. And I'm pretty sure you like remote connected in to the drive-in thing that was at. I like read you some terminal number or something like that. And I don't remember if it actually fixed my order. I think I eventually got corn dogs, but I just remember thinking that was like the coolest thing ever that you could just connect in and I don't know. It just, to me, it felt like you had so much power over technology. I was in awe in that moment. Yeah. If I recall, I didn't fix your issue because it ended up being a hardware problem, but I did try to show off while you guys are there. And I, I think I rebooted some things remotely. But yeah. I, I felt cool in the moment, even though I didn't fix your problem. It's like, like uh, Ocean's 13, but it, you know, you're our inside guy at Sonic instead of a casino. And instead of millions of dollars of cash, it's you know, half a dozen corn dogs. So it's basically the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're right. I, I work for a company named Heartland now. So when I was working at Sonic, actually, my wife and I both were working at Sonic in fall of 2018. Sonic was in- acquired by a company called Inspire Brands, who kind of spun off of Arby's. Arby's created this other company called Inspire, which then owned Arby's, then they bought Buffalo Wild Wings, and then they bought Sonic, and then they bought Jimmy John's, and then they bought Baskin Robbins, and now they've bought nothing but cakes. And they're slowly taking over the world, one restaurant brand at a time. And after they did that, they started kind of centralizing all of the fun work to their headquarters, which is in Atlanta. So I didn't get to do as much engineering after that. So that, that was the biggest reason why I left. That makes, you know, makes sense if they're taking away all the fun. You want to keep growing. I get that. Yeah. So let me ask you a little bit about this because the the term engineering has popped up a couple of times, but we are not talking about the traditional sense of engineering. You know, we've had a couple engineers on, you know, we had Austin and Kevin and Austin was very much the hard hat wrench kind of engineer. And Kevin wasn't quite hard hats and wrenches, but he was still pretty tactile with the what he was working with and especially at the entry level. But you don't fall under that, you know, Team Fortress 2 building the turret kind of engineer. You fall under a much more gentle side of life on engineering. So how does that work? And like, tell me a little bit more about how you actually do engineering in a computer world versus a non-physical world. Sure. So I am a cloud engineer. And when I was at Sonic, I was called a DevOps engineer. And all my job really was, was looking at a problem taking it apart and trying to fix fix it in small manageable pieces. So like as an example, the biggest project I worked at Sonic was when Sonic deploys a new application or a new version of something to a store, it breaks stuff all the time. Every store is unique. They have their own configurations. They have their own crap that employees put on the desktops and in folders and stuff. And so my job was how can we deploy things safely? How can we make changes safely? Stuff doesn't break. They don't call in and have to have us fix it. So I've been looking at just trying to make things like that. In this this case, deployments. Let's make the problems as small as possible and fix them as small as possible. 
and that we'd go about that in vastly different ways, depending on like the type of software we were deploying or something. And one, one technique that we were moving towards is called, I'm going to try not to like bore people with technical stuff, but configuration as code. So what that means is say every store in a Sonic needs to have Google Chrome installed. So we would have that in essentially a script that a tool could read and say, you know, hey, I don't have this version of Google Chrome. Let me go get it and install it. And we'd go down the list for every application on the store. So like if there's 100 applications, we'd have the application and the name and the script would install it. And that helped us to look at each store and say, well, we know these 100 things that the script looks at are all good. So we can look at other things and see if they're broken. And that's kind of a trending solution for engineering in the cloud and engineering just across computer systems in this day and age. That's very cool. Okay, let me spin this around to something you said earlier then. We are talking about wisdom and how you're kind of this voice of reason and the daddy of the group, which I just have trouble saying out loud, even though I think it sometimes. but your own father has also shown a lot of wisdom based on some financial stuff we've talked about and different things. And so your dad's also pretty much a guru that I would trust with my life. So is that maybe part of where that came from? Or do you emulate your dad? Or are you and your dad actually in a dad battle? So I do look up to my dad a lot. He is an an expert problem solver. And I think a big part of that is he comes from two wildly different phases of, of of life. He grew up on a ranch in New Mexico where he's fixing fences and birthing calves and re-roofing cabins and stuff like that. He he would fly airplanes to it from Amarillo to New Mexico. So he grew up kind of the handyman and then when he was about to go to college his dad was like, "You know, I don't want this life for you long term. Like the my livelihood depends on the weather and wolves and coyotes and bears and I'd rather you work something more normal where you have more control over things. So my dad went to school and became a CPA, which is like the most boring thing ever. And so he he kind of looks at, at everything through two lenses of how can the handyman go around fixing this versus how can this very risk averse numbers guy figure out this problem? And I I think that is why he's so good at figuring things out. He has those two wildly different perspectives bouncing around his head. That makes sense because I am a big proponent of the more flexibility you can get with perspectives. So, and this is partly because I have a stupid degree that doesn't actually do anything, but that was one of the main things that we were taught with. It was like, hey, you might not be able to be a CPA, but you're able to connect disparate, you know, disciplines and you're able to use them in a a different light. You can shift paradigms and look at something differently than other people might because of experiences. And so I've always kind of used that as like this little personal philosophy of like, hey, if you can build up experiences and be able to look at a problem and then shift your mind around this problem through a couple different lenses, instead of saying like, hey, I I see a nail, so I'm going to hit it with a hammer. It's that ability to look at problem solving from different lights and different perspectives is really, really important on finding the optimal solution for something instead of just a solution that works in that moment, at least in my personal philosophy. Yeah, I, I feel you on that for sure. Something I'm a little bit curious about as you've moved from job to job is, do you feel like 
what you started out in, you know, fixing printers and things like that. Have you maintained and, and are you sort of employing the same skill set as you've gone or as you've made moves, are you kind of employing different uh, skill sets? Because it sounds like when you were at Sonic, you you had the opportunity to kind of build this little app, as you said, application that launched you into more engineering. So was that a pivot point or are you still largely employing a lot of those same kind of like hard technical skills that maybe you picked up in college? I think I'm definitely using the hard technical skills still. I think the thing that has allowed me to take on a few different roles throughout the years is just looking at a problem, deconstructing it into small pieces and then attacking it, no matter what the problem is. And the other thing I would say is learning to use the correct tool for whatever problem you're you're attacking. I'll give you two different examples. In my old house, several years ago, we had a wasp problem. And on top of our garage, there's like a little nook. And I didn't notice it, but for a long time, at least weeks or months, there was these four different wasps' nests growing. And I didn't notice them until they were almost as big as a basketball. And I, the tools I had was I have a six-foot ladder that it can get me up there, and I've got some wasp spray. And so my first attempt at fixing the problem was climbing up on the roof and I was going to spray these wasp nests and then jump off the roof and tuck and roll because it was only an eight foot roof and I was 26 and I was like, that's no problem. I can tuck and roll out of that. So <laughs> I uh, Famous last words. So I sprayed the first nest. I, I jumped off the roof and didn't break anything, but only addressed one of the nests. So I was like, I can't do this four times. So I did some research and I found this little telescoping pole that's made for, you can put like a spray paint can on the end so you can spray paint things like 15 feet above your head. And it worked with the wasp spray can so I could stand on my ladder and I could spray these wasps from like 20 feet away, which was a lot easier. So that's my more practical example of being like, (laughs) let's use the right tool for the job. Kind of on the technology side, when I was talking about a configuration as code, there's a lot of new pieces of software popping up nowadays. One's called Terraform. And what that allows you to do is you can write code saying like, I need to spin up a server in the cloud. I need it to be accessible from this IP address and I need it to have this much horsepower. And you write that in a script. And so you spin it up, you use it, and if it stops working, you just rerun the script and it goes away, it spins up a new one, and then you just go along your merry way. And instead of having to like, as a human, going into the cloud and clicking all these buttons saying, I think this is what I want, I think this is what I had last time, if you use a tool that's kind of built for what you're going after, it can definitely help you get the results you want. Those are both really good examples. And I love that you had an example both from personal life and in a work. And it, it definitely reminds me of what you were saying earlier about the approach that your dad has and why his perspective is unique. And I think that's just something that, you know, hopefully listeners pick up a little bit on is that you are taking kind of this perspective and this mindset you have of finding the right way to solve problems. And you're applying it really across the board. And that's very likely something that you did before being in the workplace and and you found a way to take a skill that you have and make it applicable within your job and make that a strength that you have. Because I I think a lot of times we just do what's in front of us and we just say, okay, well, you know, my job is to spin up these servers. And so I'll do it. And even if the way that it's going or the way that it's happening, it sucks and it's tedious and whatever it is, it's like, well, that's why I'm I'm getting paid money. But I I like that you have this perspective, this mindset of, 
well, if I'm going to have to do this thing over and over again, surely there is a better way to do it, a more efficient way to sort of get this done. And that's something, again, it's, you can apply that in literally any, any area of your life. And I feel like that's something I've seen in the amount of survival video games we have played together, even in the way that you play video games. I, I feel like you apply that, like you're very consistent in, in that mindset. Definitely a min-maxer. It's very impressive. You're not playing chaotic neutral, that's for sure. Yeah, so you're right. I Kind of along those points, I definitely believe in preparation. Like, There's a good quote by Abraham Lincoln, if you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. So Michael asked me one time when we were playing Apex Legends, and he was like, tell me like the one thing that makes you good at this game. And I said, don't take on a challenge or fight somebody if you don't have the advantage. So like, if you feel like they have the advantage on you, if it's positioning, if it's something else, like get out of there until you have what you need to win. So you're right. I do try to apply that to both video games and work stuff. Don't even look at me, Daniel. Don't (laughs) even look at me. I hate you both. For the record, for everybody listening, that is Jonathan. And he is so much better at video games, uh, specifically these shooters we play. And unfortunately, I don't have the self-awareness or whatever you want to call it. If I see something to kill, specifically a bad guy, if there's somebody out there, there could be two squads. I'm going in. And Daniel and Jonathan can be off still maxing out their weapons and getting all their stuff going. And they look up and they see me 200 yards away engaging two different squads by myself. And by engaging, I mean I shoot twice and I'm dead usually. It just happens every time, no matter what the game is. This is a history. So I am not a smart player like Jonathan. I also live my life similarly. <laughs> the thing I'll say is that at least, you know, you're you're pretty you're pretty true and consistent to yourself. I find that if I'm playing with you, then I'm right there in the thick of it with you, probably making a bad decision. But if I play duos with Jonathan, if it's just the two of us, then yeah, yeah, I'll I'll totally do the smart thing as well. So at least you're consistently you. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a really good segue, I think, to like how I feel about Andrew as a person. So I feel like that sounds foreboding. <laughs> but, oh, we're, we're having one of those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, what I love about Andrew is like, we went to Las Vegas a few years ago. I'd never played craps and I'm not much of a gambler. I'm, I'm a tight wad. I get it from my dad, the CPA. And if I lose 20 bucks, I'm in a bad mood. But Andrew's like, no, let's sit down. Let's play some video craps. I'll show you how to do it. It'll be fun. And you know what? We probably lost money. I don't remember. But we risked some money. It was not very much, but I had a blast. Now that's like a super fun thing we get to do if, if we're ever in a casino or something. So I love to embrace your, like, who cares like what could happen? Let's just do the, the cool thing or the fun thing or the risky thing. And I admire that you apply that to other things. Like you've, you're renting out a house right now. You, you're kind of the most entrepreneurial person I know, but it, it's actually a good balance to my nature, which is... Very risk averse. Let's calculate everything before we do something. Well, I appreciate that. And I hope you remember that you said this when I'm on the streets in two years <laughs> and I need a couch to sleep on. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one here for you. But no, it is, it's funny how this is why I like playing Dungeons and Dragons with people, which you got to experience with us. And it's, you know, people act like they're playing this random crazy person in D&D, but really most of the time people are playing a more extreme version of themselves when they're playing Dungeons and Dragons or a video game or anything like that. So it, it's really fun playing those kind of things, even board games, because you get to see your friends and 
see who they are as a person because these weird translations come out like me running down the hill in apex engaging too many people all at once or you know michael always playing the good guy in mass effect like we talked about yesterday it's we have what we what you do in life translates exponentially into what you do when it doesn't count almost which is weird right like you would think like oh i'm super safe in my real life you would think that jonathan would be the guy going nuts and diving into a group of people in apex or whatever shooter we're playing and you'd think that michael being this very very conservative astute you know person really good-hearted person would let loose and be the bad guy in mass effect every once in a while but we just kind of play who we are it's it's (laughs) goofy Since we're talking about this, and I suffer from a lack of this skill, and I'm cheating because we talked a little bit about this beforehand, you are kind of the guy who's really good at priority management. Like that's you can triage your life pretty well and figure out like, hey, this is what I need to do right now, whatever that kind of thing. Do you want to jump into that a little bit for us and kind of give us your rundown on priority management, what led into it, and everything like that? Sure. So I I take a lot of the things I'm going to say from a book I read recently by Mark Manson, and it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... and then an F-bomb. I'll call it Flip for the remainder of this for so you don't put a little explicit tag on your podcast. But his basic fundamentals in the book are, you know, everything has a cost. If you, if you want something, it's going to cost something. If you want money, it's probably going to cost you risk or time. If you want a good physique, it's going to cost you pain and time. If you want you know, to be married and have a partner and a spouse, it's probably going to cost you some emotional turbulence, something like that. So, the, the, the real question for success in his viewpoint is, which pain do you want to go through <laughs> to get to the success? And it's a way to look at a perspective of, you know, what, what's worth spending the time on. And when I was younger in my career, I, I feel like I spent a lot of time making sure other people had what they needed or or felt like they were, you know, doing really well. And as a tech lead, that was probably good to a degree, but I was spending a lot of extra time that I could have been spending with my family trying to, you didn't get this done right, I'll help you redo it. Or this could have been done better. Let me, I'll stay late and I'll help you do this. And it probably kind of bred some laziness amongst the team I was the lead for. And in addition to that, I was taking away from time from my family or doing some leisure activity I wanted to do. So this sounds really kind of brash, but the book is brash. And it's it's like you have a limited number of flips. Make sure you're spending them on the things that are important to you. And so I probably spend more worrying about my family than about my, my coworkers, my extended coworkers that I don't even see all that much. And it kind of sounds kind of anti-team, but you know, you really only have a limited amount of time. You got to figure out what you want to spend it on. I love that. So I've read that book. I never thought of it necessarily as priority management, but that's a hundred percent. I, I mostly latched on to his, you know, what pain do you want to trade? That is a currency that I work in my small limited math capacity is, Hey, X amount of pain equals this result. And I just keeping things in that mind lets you get through a lot of stuff that most people won't deal with because they're like, hey, I want to get that good physique or I want to make a bunch of money. And then whenever they start the journey, they're like, oh, this isn't fun. And then they stop. And so going into something with that idea of like, hey, I've got to trade out a certain amount of pain. I've got to do it. And using that as priority management is great because, yeah, you don't want to suffer everything you can for your team and then come home empty for your family. That's not a good trade off for your friends or whatever's going on in your life. So that's good. Definitely recommend that book. Also, I know both of you are married. A lot of our listeners probably are in relationships, but for anybody who's not, and just in case 
Daniel, you or Jonathan, y'all want to have a refresher on relationships, despite this being kind of a how to get a girlfriend or girl's book. I mean, it would work for boys, too, if you're trying to get boys, probably. But Mark Manson actually has a almost like a pickup artist book, but it is the anti-pickup artist book. And the whole thing is about basically being vulnerable and honest and truthful with people and building your relationships off of that and how healthy and good that is for you. So he wrote that long before The Subtle Art came out. And it's just weird because I read the book back in college, loved it. And then I followed his blog and all of a sudden there's this book of his that's just hugely popular and kind of unrelated to what he first started doing when he was writing. So just a heads up, it's out there called Models if you want to check it out. Good to know. I appreciate the recommendation. The other couple things from that book that I really took away that I thought were important was he says something along the lines of life is not your fault, but it's your responsibility. So if if someone steals your cell phone or something, like that's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to deal with it. If you're dealt a bad hand in life, like it is your responsibility to either fix it or or change it or you know, you get fired. It's it's still your responsibility to figure out what you need to do because we kind of we live in a society where there's things like Twitter and Facebook where people can just voice how displeased they are with what's happened to them or what could happen to them and they just they can complain about it very publicly. And a lot of the time, it probably would be a better use of their time to, you know, this sucks. Let's try to figure out how to fix it. And he tells a, tells, he tells a story about two different musicians. The first one's Dave Musitane. He was um, part of the band Megadeth. They sold 25 million albums and his net worth is almost 20 million. And he feels like he has failed in life. He's said this publicly in interviews. And he says that because he was kicked out of Metallica, who, you know, is much bigger than Megadeth. And so, despite the fact that he almost has $20 million and sold all these albums and has toured and is part of a very successful heavy metal band, he considers himself a failure. And then they contrast that to a guy named Pete Best, who was actually the first drummer that the Beatles had. He was kicked out of the Beatles for, I don't know, some reason. But since that point, he's never developed a drug problem. He's been married for 50 years. He is alive, which is better than a lot of the Beatles. And so he, you know, he's like, I wouldn't change anything about my life. I've been married to the love of my life forever. So it's, it's very much looking at success as, you know, what is it I want to go through? Not what is the end result I'm trying to get to? So that's, that's all I got on that book, but it was really good for me. Yeah. I, I really love the, the concepts from that book. And I think something that is important to keep in mind is that when you're approaching your team at work, Jonathan, or, or when you know we're approaching our teams at work, it, it's not that you don't give any of your flips about work or, or your coworkers, right? It's just about where is your priority and your, your family is a higher priority. And, and most people would respect that. And so you're still giving energy, you're still giving effort, but you you are keeping things in the right priority and and that may change how you approach the problem and, and you can even also take your mindset and your mentality on kind of breaking things down in small smaller problems making things more efficient and even apply that to your team as well and so like in your example of you know if somebody had code that was not right and you were staying late to help them fix that I mean, to them, maybe that feels like you're prioritizing them and you really care about them. But then if you take that long-term approach and realize it's actually making them a weaker programmer, that's not the most loving thing you could do for them. That's not the best thing for them. And so 
by prioritizing your family and prioritizing them, you can develop that win-win and saying like, hey, I want you to be successful. I want you to be able to stand on your own two feet. And also I want to get home to my family. And so we're going to approach this the right way for the long term. And, and, you know, you're not just being led by the nose and doing what people think that you should do. And so I, I really like that mentality and that mindset. All right, Johnny, it's story time. What kind of stories do you have for us? It can be about me. It can be about Daniel. It can be about you. It could be about some third party we don't know about or made up. Whatever you want. If you got something, let's hear it. Okay. So I'll tell you my, <laughs> you know, made up fan fiction that happens in the parallel universe of Star Wars. Finally. Now, <laughs> Does it involve Shrek? <laughs> Shrek Wars. Yes. It's just, it's basically centered around Shrek and Canes, which are the two defining factors of, you know, our relationships. Okay. We're writing this after this episode. So now what I will say is I'll, I'll talk about how I met you guys because I've known Daniel off and on since middle school. We were in the same really cool kid band group in middle school. (laughs) Daniel played baritone, which is like the sexiest instrument, obviously. And then I played trombone, which they actually make like the same sound. I don't know why there's two different instruments for it. And I didn't really know. I knew of Daniel, but I didn't really know him until much later in life. We were in college and our mutual friend, Kurt, was like, hey, you remember Daniel Winter, that band guy? And I'm like, the baritone player? And Kurt was like, yeah, I've been hanging out with him. We've been playing video games and hanging out. So we sort of connected towards the end of college. And I think the first thing that you and I really did together without a whole lot of other people is the game Diablo 3 had just come out like right as I graduated. And I had just put together a, a computer and bought it. And I didn't really know anyone else that bought it, but I think you had bought it. So you'd come over and, and we'd play Diablo 3 like right after it launched together, even though it was really terrible and the server sucked and we could never connect. But it was like the first thing you and I did, one, like just the two of us, we'd stay up late, like trying to beat this game that didn't even play very well. But that was really cool. We kind of started gaming after that. And that was, you know, nine years ago. And then for Andrew, like I met Andrew much later through you, Daniel, and we were either playing frisbee or volleyball or something in Dallas and Andrew was in town. And so I met him and I was like, who's this weird Metro guy who just like wants to take a shirt off and play volleyball? And <laughs> Daniel's just probably just like, oh, that's just Andrew. And I'm like, all right, cool. We'll never see this guy again. And then uh, sure enough, you were a really cool guy too. And we, we somehow started playing video games and hanging out in Dallas, occasionally in Amarillo. And that's when the original Game Night Squad kind of formed. And we've been playing video games pretty much every Monday night for the last several years. And it's definitely one of the things I prioritize in my life is on Monday nights. That's what's happening at my house. So it's it's been cool. You guys are kind of my, uh, the guys I speak to more consistently than anybody. And I feel like if I were to come to you guys and I was like, Hey guys, I don't have time to explain, but I have this dead body. And I need to need to bury it. Both you guys would be like, okay, let's go. Let's find a place. <laughs> that is my goal in life is to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that's kind of a weird way to say that, but I know you guys got my back and I've got yours. So it's been cool knowing you guys for sure. One thing I'm realizing now, Jonathan, I, I've been chasing you almost my entire life. I, it didn't fully dawn on me until this moment, but I, uh, because you're a great ahead of me, I've followed you from middle school into high school. I mean, that, that was kind of like AISD, right? Like I didn't necessarily have a choice. We'll, we'll just call that one fate. But then you went to AM and then I went to AM and then 
you were like the only person that I knew in Dallas whenever I was trying to figure out what I was going to do after graduating. And I was trying to figure out like, do I leave Texas or not? And I, I actually through praying about it, like felt like Dallas was a place to go. And so it was going to be this like happy circumstance of, Oh, okay. Well, Jonathan's in Dallas. And like, we had a lot of fun this past summer playing Diablo. And we, uh, we also watched the first season of game of Thrones together. And that was, you know, a, a bonding experience to say the least, but hit you up and was like, Hey, I'm coming to Dallas. And you're like, cool. I live in Oklahoma city now. I was heartbroken, but I'm wondering if that means that somewhere in the future against my will, maybe I'm going to be moving to Oklahoma city. Well, I'll let you know if I'm ever moving out of Oklahoma city, because that means you're about to move here. That would be funny. <laughs> yeah. Daniel, you got any funny stories about Jonathan you want to share? We could always turn this around. Oh, let me think for a second. Cause the, the story that immediately comes to mind is not necessarily mine to tell. It's it's about how Jonathan hurt his back. And so I can't really tell it. That's more like a story for Jonathan to tell. Okay, I can tell that story. So we have a mutual friend named Michael who's, you know, he was on this podcast a while back. And Michael and I have been friends since sixth grade, hung out, did a lot of athletic things like Frisbee and stuff together. And Michael is like a, a small guy. He's really skinny. And there was one time we were studying for a business law test and we were, you know, procrastinating, just doing whatever else besides studying that we could think of. And Michael jumped on my back, which was fine. He weighed like 130 pounds. And he said, how high is your vertical while I'm on your back? And I was like, I don't know, let's see. And so I started jumping up and down with little Michael on my back. And then just, I landed once and immediately felt like a squish in my back, a squish followed by just intense pain. And I collapsed and like, I was an athlete growing up and I know what muscle pain feels like and I know what breaking a bone feels like. And this did not feel like either of those. And I took a lot of Advil and I, I went to Target and I was like limping around. I got heating pads and ice packs and like I laid down. I'm like, oh, I'm going to feel better in the morning. And then I felt way worse in the morning. And I ended up having to get an MRI within a few days because I like couldn't stand up. I was like having leg pain and I just couldn't stand up straight and found out I blew out a disc in my back and tried to do physical therapy. Didn't work. They they said, you've, you've got a 1.5 centimeters of disc that has blown into your spinal cord and we need to remove it. And I'm like, oh crap, I'm going to get back surgery as a 21 year old. And so that's what I did. They They put me under the knife and they had to remove all these little pieces of disc and then pieces of bone where my my uh, vertebrae had hit together when the disc broke. And so now I have this like this like vertical scar on my lower back and it's it's really cool and I I feel like an old man sometimes cuz it definitely hurts if I uh, don't stretch or something before some activity where I'm using my back. That is such a sad way to hurt yourself. <laughs> but also there's so few ways that we actually get hurt that are interesting. So Yeah, oh, I was sober. I'm it's not sorry. like I can blame it on alcohol or anything. It was just stupid. <laughs> so for for all the if we have any college listeners just remember you're not invincible despite what Andrew might claim the the invincible until proven otherwise. It's it's been proven otherwise in more people, all people, really. <laughs> yeah, I don't claim that as much. Well, I, I claim I'm unkillable still, but the uh, invulnerability is definitely not there anymore. It, it sucks to be proven wrong on that one because it really hurts, as I'm sure Jonathan can attest to. Yeah, and the next 30 <laughs> minutes of this podcast are dedicated to old man like pain and feelings. You're going to go through all the things that hurt. When you're in your 30s. <laughs> What's that, that little kid song? Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. <laughs> just sing. Yeah. Yeah. Just raise your hand. 
Okay, Jonathan, we're going to close out with a challenge. So what would you like our audience to try this episode in whatever time frame they happen to listen to it on? So my challenge would be whatever problem it is you're looking at, make sure there's not another tool you could use that's better because life is kind of like life is kind of like buying a new couch at Ikea and they give you all the parts with like 10,000 screws and then they give you the little Allen wrench that's like an inch long and they're like, just put it together with this Allen wrench. Like, I don't ever use those anymore. I bought an Allen wrench uh, drill bit so that I can just screw all that in because life doesn't come with, life often doesn't come with the right tool for the job. You really got to figure out what the correct solution is to whatever it is you're facing. So I challenge you to, if you've got something that's really hard or really bugging you or, you know, really messing up your life, just take a step back, make the problem as small as possible and see if there's another thing you can attack it with. That is great advice. And if you are somebody who is not super creative, just buy a drill, like an Allen drill bit for Ikea furniture and call the challenge done. That alone will save you so much time and effort and pain. So thank you, Jonathan, for for the challenge. Thank you for coming on and talking to Andrew and I about your life experiences, your failed MBA career, your your uh, hopeful future daughter's career in, in the NFL. Thank you to all of our listeners for coming by. We look forward to connecting with you if you um, want to be on the podcast. If you want to hear other questions or interviewees, just reach out to us and let us know. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.